0: Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. If all we do as general dentists is look at people's teeth, then how important is a medical history anyway? Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name is Erica Huin, and today we are joined by the wonderful Dr. Amanda Fu. Nguyen. Now Dr. Amanda needs no introduction. She's an oral medicine specialist based in Perth and frequently shares her tips and tricks on social media via a spoonful of oral medicine. She is a huge contributor to the dental industry and was awarded the 2021 ADA Award for valuable service and contribution to dentistry on a national level. And so I think that's saying a little something. Now today we break down the medical history, in particular for general dentists. Now I don't know about other people's experiences in dental school, but I feel like for us, we put a huge emphasis on medical sciences and going through a real thorough medical history before we commence any... Treatment with our patients. And I wonder how much this translates in private practice, where I feel like oftentimes patients just fill out a medical questionnaire in the waiting room before they go in and see the dentist. And I wonder, is this sufficient or should we be probing just a little bit more? In today's conversation, Dr. Amanda helps break down the red flags in medical history and the things we should be looking out for, which we might miss if we're not being thorough and if we're not intentionally running through the medical history history with our patients and asking them specific probing questions. We also talk about the importance of gathering a complete social history, looking at recreational drugs, alcohol use and smoking and also how vaping now plays a role. This was a jam-packed episode full of heaps of useful information and so I hope you're all able to take a thing or two away from this conversation and perhaps ask your patients tomorrow. Let's dive into our first topic then, which was, I guess, the red flags in taking medical history, but in particular for general dentists. And Dr. Amanda, I wanted your thoughts on this because I feel like there's a bit of a mismatch between how we treat it in dental school and then how it is in real life. And I can't speak on behalf of other unis, but I know at my uni, we put like a lot of emphasis in learning about medical science in our first few years. And then when we first start seeing patients, we spent a long time having a chat with them about their medical history. But from what I've heard, I think it differs in private practice where there isn't so much of a focus. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I I don't know because I haven't been in every single dental practice, but um, I think if people are not spending long enough on going over or taking a proper medical history, they really should. Um I have heard of multiple cases, you know, medical, legal uh, issues, complaints and stuff like that, which were honestly directly related to not having a good or thorough medical history in the first place. Um, I can understand time pressures. So, you know, if you don't have enough time, sometimes that might be a step that you're uh, thinking or skipping or maybe it's just a bad habit that you fell into after you finished dental school and things like that but it is really important it's it's, it's imperative because if you don't have a good or thorough medical history i i don't think you really can start dental treatment for patients or medical treatment for patients hmm
0: do you think like doing a questionnaire is sufficient? What are your thoughts on just you know when people have a new patient come in and they just fill out the questionnaire? What are your thoughts on that yep. as opposed to sitting yeah. down and doing an interview? Yep.
1: So I think mm-hmm. a good medical history is definitely a very good start um, if you have your own medical history I would recommend just reading a little bit of the literature or comparing it to a range of medical histories to make sure that you're covering all the different systems um, the Australian Dental Association actually has one ADAWA because um, I'm in Perth they actually have medical history forms that you can purchase so I think it's a very good start I think you almost I think you will almost need to have a questionnaire to begin with but it's very important that when the patient fills in the medical history um, you don't just look at it and go yep yep that's all fine you actually go over all of the yes or no answers in detail with the patient as well.
0: Yeah because you mentioned before about medical medical, legal issues that have come up in the past. Do you have, like, an example or a, a
1: particular story yeah. of where this was a real problem? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I can't give specifics, but yeah, I think course, um, I think the one that comes up very commonly, and um, that's part of the reason why I lecture on this fairly extensively, medication related osteonecrosis of the jaw, for example. You know, there are cases where either dentists haven't realized because they haven't asked or patients haven't disclosed or they haven't asked uh, enough detail or the patient didn't understand how important it was to, dic- to disclose their medical history. So I think that's probably a very real example are something that can go wrong if you don't know the patient's uh, thorough medical history.
0: But I guess my thoughts are just in terms of medical history, there are so many systems. And I wonder how does it differ for you as a more oral medicine specialist as opposed to a general dentist? And do you think obviously you go into it in a lot more extensive detail? And would you think as a general dentist, there are things that you might focus on that we might not necessarily go into as much detail, if that makes sense?
1: I guess the big difference that I can think of for oral medicine in particular is that I want to know the results of tests so I want to um, have copies of results I want to know what blood tests were ordered when they were ordered but I would almost argue to be honest that a general dentist should have a very good understanding of the patient's medical history as well um, because that you know like In the first place, it's so important to make sure, for example, that if the patient does have a medical emergency in the clinic, um, you know what their medical history is. So you can tell that to the ambulance when they come or, you know, you you can cover yourself with all of these conditions. Um, I think it is fairly important. So the way that I generally recommend someone would do it is to use a medical history form. Uh, We've already talked about, you can either get it from, you can either buy it or you can make your own and make sure that it's thorough. You go through yes or no questions with your patients. Um, Some of the things that I see that are commonly missed, for example, are things that are medications that are not swallowed. So, a common example would be a patient that comes in, they give you a bag of medications. You ask them what medications they're taking, they don't know, but they reach into their bag, they pull out like a, a plastic bag full of all their different bottles. You go through it with your patient and you note it in your medical history. Now, that's a good start. But something that can be frequently forgotten would be medications that are injected. For example, prolio, denosumab is every six months in some cases. uh, Sometimes patients have topical medications or puffers and stuff like that that they forget. So I think a common thing that I do see people miss is not getting all the medical history. Um, Another common one is that sometimes when patients don't know what their medical history is, it can be easy to put them into the too hard or the should be right basket and then you go ahead and do it and turns out that it wasn't. Um, In that case, I think general dentists should be very comfortable with contacting the patient's medical practitioner to ask for a medical summary or history. I know some people who are here listening to this, they'll be like, even the the medical history or summary from the doctor may not be always up to date. True, but it's definitely a start, you know, because then you can ask questions around there. The patients can tell you what medications they're taking, what medications they're not. I think it all plays a big part. The other thing as well is knowing what um, control the patient has over their medical conditions. So, for example, um, you know, how, how many of our patients have type 2 diabetes and they're a metformin, for example? And you ask them, oh, okay, um, that's good. Uh, do you take your medications? They say yes. But you, I think it's important to go a step further by asking the patient, when was the last time you checked? A lot of patients do check themselves at home, or if not, you know, when did you last see your doctor? When did you last have your blood test about it? Because we need to know if their diabetes is well controlled because it has such a big effect on, you know, dental treatment, periodontal treatment, all of that sort of stuff. hypertension so if they've got high blood pressure ask them when they last checked what the numbers were Um, you can also take your own blood pressure for the patient in the chair as well especially if you're doing an extensive procedure i think that's important not every patient is going to have a dangerously high blood pressure level but i've certainly had two or three patients in the last two or three years where they are they are blood pressure levels were so high that I sent them straight to their doctor or to ED. So I think all of these things are quite important. I mean, you don't want your patient to stroke out in the chair. And then if the patient stroked out in the chair and you don't know what their medical history is, like, you know, it's it's just so messy. So I think it's very important to, to get all of that, to get all of, I think that's the very basis because... You know, we are, we are doctors.
0: I feel like there are kind of like the key things in medical history that we tend to look out for. For example, I know with us in student clinics, whenever we have to uh, do any extractions with patients, I feel like that's probably the most, the one that we know most, like as like clear cut, like, oh, do they take any anticoagulants? Are they, like, how is their diabetes? Do they have high blood pressure? Um, and then any like bisphosphonates or denozumab, right? I feel like extractions seems to be very, in some ways clear cut because it's like oral surgery. But I wonder, I think where oftentimes my friends and I get a little bit confused is just in general treatment where the patient just comes in and I wonder, do you think there are any red flags or things that we should look out for when we're just doing like more general treatment? for patients?
1: So I think definitely um, even for general treatment you want to know all of these things for them anyway because for example for medication related osteonecrosis of the jaw um, it's true that if you do a dental extraction the risk is higher but you know MRANCH can happen spontaneously as well it can happen from an ill-fitting denture for example um, a scare and clean periodontal cleaning all of that sort of stuff so you want to know all of this anyway before before starting allergies is a very big one as well like you know that that's very relevant to general dentistry for example whether you using Using latex gloves. Whether you're recommending chlorhexidine, um, if you're putting the patient on medications, I think that's a very big one as well. I mean, I think antibiotics most most dentists are familiar with. But for example, you know, if you have a patient with a fungal infection, if you've got them on, uh, if you suspect oral candidosis and you want to start them on myconazole oral gel, but the patient's on warfarin, like is that a significant interaction that you should know about? what Yes, yes, it should be. So I think um, some of it is ex- is experience because, you know, after you've seen a couple of these cases, you keep an eye out for them. I think a great start is the therapeutic guidelines, to be honest. It has a lot of this in there. But there's another aspect of taking a good medical history, which I think is... Um, becoming more well-known, Dr. Geraldine Moses, uh, she's the ADA, um, she gives pharma advice for the Australian Dental Association. Um, she's given a few lectures on the use of supplements and complementary medications, which I think is really important because, you know, you may be asking about warfarin and you may be asking about, you know, all of your um, anticoagulants or, or your medications that can increase bleeding risk. But, you know, are general dentists asking about fish oil? Are they asking about all of these things and John's what that could um, interact with medications? I think that's quite important as well, and I think that's usually quite missed because um, I've seen a few cases, for example, where patients just say that they're on supplements, and we don't, you know, um, they haven't really been asked what they're taking, what doses they're taking. And supplements is actually a really tricky one because obviously you don't need a script to do it. So lots of times, you know, Mrs X heard from her neighbour down the road that you know if she buys this supplement and she takes it, it will help her recover. Turmeric, for example. So all of these things I think is quite important. Obviously, this is. It's not something that I, I don't think we, we learn necessarily in dental school. I mean, some people might, but I don't think everyone does. And that's where like CPD, continuing education, all of this sort of stuff uh, comes in quite handy to keep up to date. Um, I think recently, just today, I posted one on grapefruit yeah, interaction. I was just reading it. Yeah, <laughs> which I think you may not be thinking of. But for example, if you are going to put the patient on erythromycin, do you want to tell them not to take the medication with grapefruit? I mean, you probably would want to. So I think there's all of these things to consider as well, because we should be thinking of the patient as a whole which is why I think medical, social, um, all of those histories come in. Um, To be honest, I think if you become quite uh, good at it or it becomes, it's the same as anything, it becomes a habit. So lots of times, um, not lots of times, but occasionally some people tell me that they don't do a a head and neck cancer screen because they don't have enough time. But my argument is that actually, if you do it for every single patient and you get used to doing it, it doesn't actually take that long. Same as going through the medical history. Like I think if you're verbal going through a written medical history with the patient and asking questions most times it should be fairly straightforward if you do have those patients that it is not straightforward then you should you should recognize that the, that the fact that you've had to take a lot of time to discover the medical history is probably a good thing as well because it's at least you're doing it now and rather than in an emergency situation.
0: Yeah, I think for me, like and you've raised, raised a few really good points so far, but I think for me, the biggest struggle is just, I feel like there are so many little nuances to the medical history. And it's so it's easy, I think, to ask a patient about things, but then sometimes n- fail to make that connection as to like what the significance is. And there's a, there a few <laughs> questions I wanted to ask you about, but first, because you kind of alluded to the significance of supplements and vitamins, can I ask like exactly what? what effects they have or what things we should be looking for if the patient does say that they're taking supplements or vitamins?
1: There's quite a lot, but probably the most significant one I would be thinking of, uh, relevant to general dentistry, would be an increase in bleeding risk. And um, if you Google uh, Geraldine Moses, um, she's recently given a talk in Sydney. Um, She's written one for the National Prescriber Service. So things like fish oil, turmeric, stuff like that.
0: So they increase bleeding risk? They do. Would that be significant enough to really affect our treatment or is it more so just something to be...
1: Wary of uh, it definitely could. I mean, I've got uh, good friends who are oral and maxillofacial surgeons, and I know they specifically ask their question uh, ask their patients because they notice. So I think uh, um, this oral maxillofacial surgeon um, that that I'm thinking of, we had a chat, and he tells me that if he has a younger patient coming in, he always asks if they're taking fish oil, if they're. Um, I mean, this is a bit of a stereotype, but if they look like they work out and stuff like that, very muscly, they ask about steroids as well because that can increase yeah risk. Um, you know, recreational drug use, um, also relevant. For example, if you've got a patient that's coming in and they deny any bruxing, but you can see where on their mouth a lot of caries. You know, ask them about, rec- about recreational drug use. Is there drug induced bruxism? You know, are they taking methadone? Is that causing a lot of dental caries in their mouth? Because lots of times you may actually be trying to treat all of these problems without getting to the root cause as well. And all of that, you know, some of it could come down to medical history. Like, for example, medications that cause dry mouth, it affects their saliva flow. And then you could put in all of the, beautiful composites you want, but patients going to get decay around it if you can't control that. So, you know, all of this sort of stuff as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how you say that. It really is kind of that more holistic approach to treating the patient as opposed to just their teeth.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, you know, um, we, we've all seen multiple cases where, where we where we have restored teeth and then they've got dental decay around them and then you ask the patient, like, are you having a high sugar diet? Like all of that sort of stuff. Um, if you don't address the cause of the dental caries, if you don't address the salivary gland hypofunction, what well, the dentist is really chasing their tail. So is the patient actually, yeah. Yeah.
2: It's that time of year again. Before June 30, we have to renew our indemnity insurance. And when I look for an insurer, I'm looking for someone who's going to be there when I need their help. They're going to act fast and they're going to be by my side so I can practice with confidence. I get all of that from Dental Protection Limited. What I love about them is that they're more than just an insurer. They're actually here to help us, to give us content and support us with medical legal situations and most importantly, help us avoid these situations. The content they produce is the best content out there from an insurer like them. Renewal notices are out in May. To make sure you get all of these added benefits, sign up by June 30. I can say from personal experience, when you need help, you'll be glad you're with Dental Protection Limited. Thank you, Dental Protection Limited, for supporting me and my career and the Dental Head Start Podcast.
0: The reason, the 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 other thing that I thought of when, as just you were talking, was just because the other day I had a patient who. had said she had a history where she had a brain aneurysm and had um, surgery for it and that was a really good example where it just kind of went over my head and I was like oh okay and then my tutor afterwards came and had a chat with me and he was just like oh what do you think the significance of that is and in my head I was thinking oh is that like potential for stroke like would she be taking any other medications for that And that was kind of the line that line of thinking or questioning that I was going down but then he said well did she have clips placed and that was just something I was completely oblivious to. And I asked him, "What is the significance of clips?" And he was saying, "Well, that would mean that she wouldn't be able to have an
1: MRI taken."
0: And yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Or <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, um, I I suppose you can always check. But um, from my understanding, a, a, a lot of these um, implements that are used in surgery now they're 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 not ferromagnetic, so they're MR they're okay for MRI. But for example, um, if you're taking um, if you're taking imaging and, and you say you take an OPG and you notice a lot of artifacts, you know, that, that that could be something. Yeah, so many things that you just don't realize.
0: And I guess it's hard to be aware of all of these things. Like, for example, even when you're just mentioning like the grapefruit and how it interacts. Do you feel like that just all comes with experience and you start picking up on these things and piecing things together and like doing further reading?
1: Yes, sort of. I mean, I think... I think when we go through dental school, a lot of us actually already know this. Like, I think all of this is is taught or covered or touched on at some level, but because the volume of things that you have to learn in dental school is so much, it's probably really difficult to remember everything. So I think um, there's definitely a combination of experience. So for example, if you have a patient who has really significant bleeding and they want turmeric, but they didn't tell you about it, for example, like that's probably something that, that you want for get for a while or if you have a patient um, and this one I think fairly ha- happens every so often even to very good dentists that I know they see a patient it's an emergency situation they take the tooth out the The area doesn't heal and then they realize after that the patient was on um, prolia for example but the patient never declared it and when asked the patient didn't say anything because the patient forgot basically um, you know these things do these things do happen I think it's more like mitigating risk um, which is yeah I think uh, yeah so I think it's a combination of factors. I think a lot of it is keeping up with current knowledge um, specifically back back to emrone again, you know, a, a lot of people know bisoscinates and prolia, but there's all of these other medications that are associated with emrone as well. so I think that's that's a really good one to keep up to date with because that changes all the time. Some of the other things, for example, like, asking about supplements and stuff like that i know that there are articles that are published every so often the australian dental journal which i think most people will receive usually has quite a few good articles on you know bleeding risk and stuff like that yeah it's a good question i think it's a combination of everything i think it's a combination of things that we were taught at dental school but we forgot keeping up to date because things always change and an experience as well so knowing how to ask the important questions quickly i suppose or not quickly, but like thoroughly, yeah,
0: <laughs> effectively. Effectively, yeah. I think that's what,
1: it, yeah.
0: I think what the what you're kind of saying is like as with everything, the more you practice it, the more it just becomes second nature, and you know to look for those things, and it's at the forefront of your mind, and perhaps you're a little bit more um, conscious of it.
1: I think so. I mean, I, I I think there's a balance. Like if you're taking an hour to take your medical history, then you know that's that's obviously not not feasible or practical, but There should be, there should be a good attempt to have a good medical history and it should be updated at every review. Uh, Every time you see the patient, you should be asking. Commonly missed things are supplements, recreational drug use. Um, Another one which can happen, I don't think it happens as much in dental school or in public because I think there are networks in place for this. But. If you're seeing a patient uh, that doesn't speak English, uh, where English is not their first language, you know, language barriers, getting a translator, being careful if their family member is interpreting for them because you don't know really know what their family member is saying. So there's all of these things that you've got to take note of. So you know, just as sort of a, a little bit of a side note that, that if I'm being referred a patient where English is not their first language and I, I speak Mandarin. So if Mandarin is, uh, if if they're speaking a language that I cannot speak, um, it'll be really good to have it in the referral because then I will allow extra time and possibly organize an interpreter before the patient gets in um, because, you know, informed consent is key. So if I can't get a medical history from the patient, um, then I can't do anything outside of emergency settings yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you kind of mentioned just then about how like you speak Mandarin and sometimes you see patients that like speak a language other than English. What are your thoughts on, I guess, alternative medicine or like Chinese medicine as an example, and asking patients about if they take anything of that? And does that really affect us as general dentists? Or does that also affect their overall medical health or condition?
1: Yeah, no, I I think it can. Um, You definitely should be making note of these. Um, The issue that I find with that is that the patient doesn't know. So I, I do my best basically. I, I take down whatever information I can. I try to get down whoever they're seeing. If they're doing things like acupuncture and stuff like that is is noted in my history as well. Um it gives an idea to um it gives an idea of things that the patients are trying. Um there are certain herbs for example that are quite relevant to me if the patient does have burning mouth or taste changes and stuff like that. Um but in those cases, you know, I do get a lot of um they they gave me this this brown packet of medication to have and it's it's not labeled basically like they don't know so sometimes sometimes it's very difficult to find out but I think every attempt should be made.
0: I guess building on from just like that, taking that medical history and part of that what comes into play is like you mentioned recreational drugs, but also wanted to ask about recreational drugs, alcohol, and then smoking. Perhaps starting off on recreational drugs, because you were kind of mentioning that before, how do you usually go about having that conversation with patients? And some patients, I guess for me, I've had a little bit of experience in the hospital asking patients, and some of them are very upfront about this is what I take and so on. But what are your thoughts on patients who I guess perhaps you suspect maybe some sort of um, influence, but they're not being upfront about it? How would you recommend like going? About having
1: that conversation to try. To be honest, a majority of my patients are fine. I just ask, and they just answer, because you know, um, like I'm asking about STIs and like sexually transmitted infections and stuff like that as well. So it's kind of to the point now where they don't really ban an eyelid, and neither do I. But it can definitely be a bit confronting, especially in a general dentist uh, setting. They may not necessarily be be expecting that. Um, I think it's a good idea to have it in the medical history form because you need to go over all of those answers verbally anyway so you know you go like hey, have you got any high blood pressure have you got any heart problems recent hospitalizations any recreational drug use do you smoke have you ever smoked do you have any alcohol how often do you have it like you know it just goes through this list and the patient just answers basically because they know they're going you're going through that um if you have a patient that's a little bit reticent so very occasionally i do get patients that are a little bit angry or maybe not very happy like why do you have to know that um, and i just tell them I'd be like, oh, it's actually relevant to to, to the treatment that I'm seeing you for. So for example, if I'm seeing them for temporomandibular joint disorders, I was like, oh, you know, it could be relevant to your jaw pain. Or like, for example, if I'm seeing them for a mucosal lesion, I was like, oh, as you know, you know smokers or drug users do have a higher increased risk of infections or cancer and stuff like that. So I just need this background information. Um, and most people are reasonable. Uh, most patients understand that if they're seeing you Uh, for their dental health and you're asking questions relevant to their dental health, uh, they get it. You might just have to connect the dots for them and tell them why it's relevant. Um, But in most cases, I think as long as you explain what you're doing, I haven't really had patients that are too angry at me. Um, I do recognize that I'm probably a little bit privileged in the fact that I'm female. I do know um, some of my male colleagues, sometimes they tell me that they can feel a little bit uncomfortable asking personal questions, say if their patients are female or something like that. But they usually get around that as well by basically explaining because most people are accommodating when they know why you want to know the information.
0: And then in terms of just smoking and alcohol, I guess that differs also. Both of them have obviously effects in what we do, but they're also risk factors. And I guess oftentimes we are expected to inform the patient of the risk, especially for cancer. Um, How do you go about having that conversation with patients, in particular, those ones that... I guess they're a bit more resistant and I guess, yeah, what are your thoughts on like having smoking cessation discussions with patients? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if anybody is in WA and they're listening, let me know because I'm actually helping to run a, um, a CPD day on talking about this. Cause I think this is really important because we've all faced that situation where the patients are just not happy. They don't want to know. They think that you're nagging, um, And, you know, that's fine. I think the most important thing is that you try. Um, The studies have shown that patients are receptive to receiving smoking cessation advice from their dentist. Um, A good proportion of patients even expect it. One in every 33 conversations will lead to a patient permanently stopping smoking. So I think the first thing is just to ask Um, ask the patient um, do they smoke and then you can ask them if they're planning to quit or if they've tried to quit and if they get reticent you can sort of explain yourself why you want to why it is important for you So for example, uh, if you're treating the patient for perio or you're um, taking a tooth out, you want to warn them about, you know, alveolar osteitis or dry socket and stuff like that. It's a very logical progression in my mind. So it's very relevant to your dental treatment. So you can talk to your patient about it. Um, If they are happy to quit or if they're thinking about it, then you can follow that up with an action. So you can say like, you know, um, if you dial a quit line, for example, or if if we send this piece of paper into quit line for you, um, they will call they've got they've got people on hand to give you a hand because most people don't manage to quit cold turkey. I know disproportionately a lot of our patients will say that they 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 quit cold turkey cold turkey but a lot of them relapse and that's perfectly normal and it's just getting the the motivation the motivation to try again gps are a very good resource as well because gps can sometimes prescribe medications there's a lot of help in australia for people who want it um, to to quit smoking so um, the local cancer councils the quit line things like that um, you can send patients there or with their permission you can send the patient information there Um, a lot of people don't realize this as well but most states you're actually able to reach out to these resources and they will send you brochures that you can give to the patient as well. Yeah, so there's, there's actually a lot of things. So there's a training for dentists and um, oral health professionals as well to talk about smoking cessation with their patient. So essentially, I think you just have to ask and follow up. And then if you feel that the patient is not receptive to it, it's fine. You've done your best to educate them and you make a note of it in the patient's history and then you ask them again the next time they come in.
2: Ripe Global is an incredible resource, especially in these times where travel is a little bit difficult, but we're also realising it's not always necessary for our education, especially when we're starting our career. We just want to get as much as we can, and a platform like Ripe Global's membership is perfect for that. But Ripe Global is a lot more than that. They've got the fellowship in restorative dentistry, and while it's already started with the posterior dentistry course, they've just released the anterior dentistry course one way you're going to learn about composites, aesthetics, isolation and indirect work as well. One of the hardest things to do in dentistry is a single front tooth and this course is aimed at helping you improve that skill. Find out more at rightglobal.com or check out the show notes and you can get 30% off a membership all from the comfort
0: of your own home. And what I'm also seeing I guess now is just the rising increase of vaping and also I think because it is so new, even also the general population isn't as aware of the effects of it. And I've noticed this with some of my discussions with patients where it's like, oh, like, you know, do you smoke? And they're like, oh, I quit like 10 years ago. I don't smoke anymore. And then they'll just be like, oh, but I vape daily. (laughs) And then, yeah, I'm just, what are your thoughts on vaping and I guess having those discussions with patients about
1: in. So I generally break down the vaping conversations into two broad categories, I suppose, of patients, and the first ones are ex-smokers or people who are trying to quit who are using vaping. So vaping can be effective in those cases. Um, and then you know, just have I just have a bit of a chat with my patient. Like, are you thinking about quitting vaping too? Um, and sometimes if they're using it as a crutch um, and they're and it's the only thing that's stopping them from going back to a cigarette, that's fine. I find that. It's discussion, talk to patients about it later. I, I might have a brief thing about, you know, vaping is not completely safe as well. But, you know, um, if, if you're using it to quit smoking, um, I, I would rather you vape than smoke if, if, if there had to be the choice between the two. Um, so I sort of uh, have a brief conversation with my patients around that. Um, I think the studies are clear at the moment because there's not a lot of long-term studies for vaping, just because it hasn't been around for long enough. Um that if vaping is used to quit c- uh, cigarette smoking, uh, that's better than that's better than continuing smoking. The other one, the other population that I'm seeing, there are people who are not smokers, who have never smoked before. They tend to be younger and they're vaping because they're, it's fun or it's interesting or it's cool or their friends do it. Those are the ones that I have a little bit more time talking to them about. Um, and it's definitely an increasing issue. I actually go around to a few schools to talk to kids as well, because a lot of them are doing it. Um, some schools have to install stole vaping detectors parents are obviously very worried as well and in those cases uh, these younger people they don't know that they don't know the potential side effects of vaping. So I talked to them about it. I mean, it can start from things in the mouth, you know, increased risk of dental caries, dry mouth, injury, cancer, and it can be stuff like lung injury. Um, and then another one as well is was that, you know, if you're vaping the secondhand smoke, your friends, are you affecting your friends as well? All of that sort of stuff. So I have a bit of a conversation with them around that. Um, if it's younger people who are picking it up because they think it's fun, um, Usually, educating them gives them a little bit of food for thought, um, and then it also helps their parents as well, I think.
0: Do you think it is comparable to smoking? And when you have these conversations, do you use a like, comparison to smoking, or do you think it's its own entity?
1: General principles, yes. So I, I'm a big believer in motivational interviewing, which I think is quite important when you're talking to patients about all of these things. Um, you need to find out what motivates them to do, uh, what they do. And then you need to be very empathetic, um, not judgmental. Um, if the conversation takes a little bit longer, that's fine. So be it. Um, so uh, I think the motivations basically behind these two groups are very different and addicted smoker who's using vaping to quit, um, that's fine because they're motivated to quit. And then I almost think of it as a stepwise process. And then if it's a younger person, um, if they quit, um, you know, if their motivation is that they just thought it was fun and they didn't realize it, that that's educating them. Um if they think it's cool Uh, and all their friends are doing, and then I sort of have a chat with them about, like, have you thought about how it may actually affect your friends and your family and stuff? So the general principles are the same. I I think um, short conversations, because a common thing that I hear is that, oh, I don't have enough time to talk to patients about this. Um, The studies do show that very short conversations of a couple of minutes is actually sufficient.
0: I guess just to end it off, do you think Mm -hmm. that there is anything new or, you know how we were just saying, like, vaping is kind of, I feel like, the new thing that we need to pay attention to have you in your studies or research have you come across anything new that's kind of affected or on the horizons and you think might be of note for us to look out for in terms of any like diseases or other things that are becoming more prevalent nowadays. Um, yeah, I mean, I think
1: um, I think a lot of these oral diseases are on the rise, um, especially with an aging population. Um, oral cancer is increasing in younger people. We don't know why. In the well, there's thought to be a genetic predisposition. Um, so, especially in under forty white women. Um, Oral cancer rates are increasing. So I think that's always something that that, that we need to be aware of. Um, it's not new, but water pipe smoking, for example, um, that's something that I think a lot of people do, talking to people about that. Um, and obviously, we've all had to learn a lot very quickly about COVID <laughs> over the last couple of years. So that's probably an evolving thing as well, although thankfully, um, we seem to be getting... Well, I, I don't want to cut my chickens before they hatch, but I, I think we're getting a better <laughs> grip on it now at least
0: do you think COVID has any effects on the like the the oral environment or like our scope of things
1: I think so. Yeah. So, um, for example, we do have patients with taste changes. Um, you know, um, oral lesions, for example, all of that sort of stuff. Um, it has been reported. I think it's still obviously very early days. Um, there is also secondary effects of COVID, for example, a lot of stress. Um, reports of bruxism and facial pain increasing. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think I think there are things that are worth paying attention. I mean, I, I do have a handful of patients that tell me about vaccination side effects as well. I'm not sure where, but it's it's a coincidence or not, but there's all of these things that I think we need to be wary about. Um, you know, when we're using all of these pre procedural mouthwashes as well, um, I, you know, like, uh, how are they affecting the oral cavity? Is it going to increase, you know, clohexidine allergy rates and things like that? So I, I think there's a lot to, um, there's always a lot for all of us to keep on top of. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. Seems to be a common theme but I think conversations like this and just being aware of it is definitely a step in a positive direction.
1: Well, I don't know if this makes you feel any better, but I remember thinking the other day when when we were growing up, right? Like I, I had a Nokia phone that you could play Snake on. It didn't have Google or anything on it. So for generations, people have managed to keep on top of things without Google. So now that we're the connected generation, theoretically, it should be easier. So I suppose it's a good thing that like that we are harnessing technology for good like for example with podcasts and social media and like electronic journals and stuff like that webinars so I think um, in a way it can feel a bit overwhelming but it's also really good that we do have access to a lot of this information far more easily than people before because I think I was attending like an endo dinner and then one of the endodontists bless him lovely guy but he was telling me about (laughs) how like when he wrote his thesis he had to go to the library and print things out and reference things by hand and like if I had to reference my papers by hand i think i would die <laughs> so you know like, yeah mm, so it's good mm,
0: yeah plus the fact that we have technology like an app or some sort of uh thing to end note. um yeah exactly end note. <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. that does everything for us right
1: <laughs> yeah so it's so in a way i can definitely understand that it does feel like information overload but then on the bright side i think in a way things are a lot more accessible for us as well